please stand then for the cult of worship. From Psalm 91, the first two verses. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your faithfulness. You are truly the God we can rely upon at all times. Our trust is to be always in you and the Almighty. And we know that you provide for your people. You are our refuge, our fortress, even through the Lord Jesus Christ. As he came into this sin-cursed world to bring that one way of redemption. As he alone could obey in every thought, word, and deed, and give himself at the cross to bear the infinite wrath of God for all your people. And so we marvel at your grace, your love, your mercy to us. May we truly be a thankful people, O Lord God. May we serve you in all gladness then. Turn us away from our sins and help us to hear you as we ought this day. May you be honored in our midst. Build us up, edify us through the grace and spirit of the Lord, and that you would be honored. Be with us. May our worship be fitting in your sight through Christ as we pray it all in his holy name with the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. and confess the true Christian faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Let's turn to our first hymn, 251, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. <coughs>
indeed our only hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did and his perfect obedience and his righteousness, his sacrifice on the cross. So as the Apostle Paul said, I will only glory in that, what he has done as the crucified and risen Lord and Savior of his people. Psalter reading today, Psalm 45, page 807. Again, the bottom of page 807, Psalm 45. My heart, heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. With gladness and rejoicing, they shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and ever. Well, as this psalm can speak of an earthly king, perhaps Solomon and his glory, his majesty. And of course, he had many wives. He went beyond what he should have done as a king in that way. But yet God would bring people together into his own. He has shown that certainly from other lands, all the lands of the earth where those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are brought into his saving kingdom. And it's very uh, uh, telling how so, uh, verse 6, for example, is quoted in Hebrews 1, where it talks about your throne, O God. Well, the writer of Hebrews says, it is the Father saying to the Son, to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And so Christ is proclaimed very directly to be God, God the Son, who has come as our saving King. He is the one that you and I can rely upon at all times, who gave himself, even at the cross, for our redemption. From the Cans of Dort today, page 893. 
Again, in the second head of doctrine, the death of Christ and the redemption of men thereby, we'll look at Articles 7 to 9, page nine, uh, 893. In Article 7, <clears throat> But as many as truly believe and are delivered and saved from sin and destruction through the death of Christ are indebted for this benefit solely to the grace of God given them in Christ from everlasting and not to any merit of their own. Again, those who Christ has redeemed by his precious blood, his righteousness, we depend only upon what he has done. It is all the grace of God, certainly not anything that we could ever do to earn our place with the Lord. In Article 8, for this was the sovereign counsel and most gracious will and purpose of God the Father, that the quickening and saving efficacy of the most precious death of his Son should extend to all the elect for bestowing upon them alone the gift of justifying faith, thereby to bring them infallibly to salvation. That is, it was the will of God that Christ, by the blood of the cross, whereby he confirmed the new covenant, should effectually redeem out of every people, tribe, nation, and language all those, and those only, who were from eternity chosen to salvation and given to him by the Father, that he should confer upon them faith, which together with all the other saving gifts of the Holy Spirit, he purchased for them by his death, should purge them from all sin, both original and actual, whether committed before or after believing, and having faithfully preserved them even to the end, should at last bring them free from every spot and blemish to the enjoyment of glory in his own presence forever. Again, all these things Jesus has done for God's elect to cleanse us from all our sins, our inborn or original sin, and our actual, whether thoughts, words, or deeds, he brings us about to infallibly, effectually, cause all God's chosen to come to true faith and everlasting life with him. In Article 9, this purpose proceeding from everlasting love towards the elect has from the beginning of the world to this day been powerfully accomplished and will henceforward still continue to be accomplished, notwithstanding all the ineffectual opposition of the gates of hell, so that the elect in due time may be gathered together into one and that there never may be wanting a church composed of believers, the foundation of which is laid in the blood of Christ, which may steadfastly love and faithfully serve him as its Savior, who as a bridegroom for his bride laid down his life for them upon the cross, and which may celebrate his praises here and through all eternity. Again, from the beginning of the world to the end, there will be a church, that is, those who believe on Christ, who have redemption in him, and God brings that about. No, the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church. No uh, opposition can stand or, or call, cause the gospel to fail. It will succeed for all those Jesus has given his life for them. And so how thankful, of course, we should always be for such a Savior and Lord who rules in heaven for the good of his people now and who will bring us to that glorious world to come with him. Again, the God we worship is the God of all grace and comfort through Christ. He is the one who delights to have his people worship him and to hear his word in faith. He will hear our prayers as well as we respond to him. So let us join in our time of prayer together.
So Heavenly Father, we give you honor and glory. We know that you are great and you deserve all the praise that we can ever give and infinitely more. And we thank you. There will be even an eternity, a blessed eternity for all believers to be with you in that perfect world to come, to give you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, praise as is fitting and right. We thank you for your faithfulness being with us and providing for us even day by day throughout this world. And we know you do all things well. All things come not by chance, but by your fatherly hand. And and we depend upon your mercies. Again, forgive our sins, increase our faith, and may we grow in, in uh, service to you, even through this time of, of worship, and as we go from this place, may we be your true witnesses, O Lord God. We do pray for that, and we pray for us, again, as a congregation, as families and individuals. May we serve you gladly in all things, and may many more be one to Christ. Yes, we pray for a great revival, reawakening in our land, certainly our state and nation, and and throughout the world, that many would submit to Christ, the one who rules in heaven now. And though he is unseen, we know that the, by the eye, we know the truth that Jesus will return at the final day as judge of all mankind. And we thank you. We have assurance as we trust in him. We have assurance of being accepted by God to have forgiveness, righteousness, and everlasting life with you. How we thank you for all your mercies to us. We are undeserving of the least of your benefits. So we do come to praise you, and we want to hear your word. Help me to proclaim it, and that we would be edified thereby. We do pray, again, for all our denomination, our established churches, our mission works, and, and those churches that need pastors at this time. We do pray that you'll provide for them. We do thank you for the uh, students for the ministry that we have at this time, those who are preparing and uh, and that you would be pleased to use them for your glory and the building up of, of the church of the Lord Jesus. We do pray for mission works in other lands as well, in the Philippines and Africa, those places that we have helped to care for and helped to teach in those places. We, we pray that your word will go forth and, and your people will be built up in faith and numbers. We do pray for those who are persecuted at this time, O oh, Heavenly Father, that they would be strong for you, and uh, yes, that you would use the, that Christian witness to bring others to repentance and faith in Jesus also. Thank you for providing for us and hearing our prayers in so many ways. We do pray for your continued blessings, for your comfort and peace to all those in, in need at this time. We do pray for the family of Dean. We ask for your mercies. Thank you that uh, the siblings have worked together thus far and and uh, even in the aftermath of the funeral and with properties, all those things being considered, we do praise you that there was a will giving some direction with that, and we ask for your continued guidance. And yes, we cry out to you for Hadassah and family, and as they go through this time, even of uh, grief of losing a, a baby, we ask for your, your mercies to be with them. Give them your comfort and peace and strength, and be with uh, her, with Joshua, and uh, even Carissa, and, and bless them, O oh Lord. We have the Nilsons, let's really pray Kyle will be working well with the, his father there in Texas, and uh, that he would not seek to uh, have any escape through alcohol. We pray for your guidance, O oh Lord, with all the family, Kathy and Jerry, and each one look unto you. With Monty health situation, we ask for your blessings there, and that you would be honored in, in answering 
Others we have brought before you, we ask for your continued mercies to be shown. Oh Lord, we pray for Alicia can get to Mayo and, and you'll provide in that way. Be with our state, that it would seek to do your will, follow the principles of your word, even in the civil laws. We ask for your blessings, you protect us from further expansion of uh, marijuana use, whether recreational or de facto uh, recreational through uh, loose uh, uh, medical marijuana laws. We pray for uh, turning away from all those things, and you would protect us, O Lord. Guide our governor and legislature to do what is right, and certainly we pray for judges in our land and across the nation, with the Biden administration and Congress, that they would seek to do what is fitting and right, what is good for our people, not uh, doing the ways of woke culture and all these things that are harmful. Uh, we do pray for true morality and, and direction for our land. With grace reformed at Greeley, Colorado, and pray you'll provide a pastor there in your good time with student Jesse as he works there for these few months, and we pray for your direction there and in all things that you would be honored. Do pray for the protection of the unborn in our nation and elsewhere, O Lord, and that you would show your goodness, your power, and all these things. Again, we rely upon you. Help us to hear you rightly as we pray it all. In Jesus' name and through the forgiveness that only he can provide, and he does. We ask for your blessings. Amen. Let us then turn to hymn number 253. There is a fountain filled with blood as we stand to sing again, acknowledging how Jesus gave himself and it is through his saving work that we have forgiveness, washing away of our sins. I saw the stream, your 
sing your power to save. When this poor lisping stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, lies silent in the grave, lies silent in the grave. reading for the sermon today is John 18, 19 to 27. <clears throat> John 18, starting at verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now there are certainly endless examples of injustice in this world throughout human history. And any sin against another human being is injustice or morally wrong especially if there are laws or courts which actually deny what is morally right or fair treatment of others, that is unjust. 
It is not what so-called woke thought means by social justice, for that is only sinful man's desire, for example, that all have the same outcomes, not the same opportunity. That is, materially in authority and so forth, all are to be equal or the same here. Yeah, you know, that is not God's plan. And we are to seek contentment in his will in all matters. He provides also that we can rightly seek to improve our status in the world according to his law of love for him above all and then for people. In any case, dear ones, the worst injustice ever, ever is described in our text. For our Lord Jesus was the one person, of course, in all of history who never committed evil of any sort. He always did God's will and he treated people rightly. Also, since he is not only man, but God in the flesh, he was obviously deserving of the greatest honor and regard. Yet that is clearly not, not what he received from sinners, but he was condemned wrongly. And so let us consider the worst travesty as Christ was tried and denied. For truly he bore injustice to save sinners, to save all God's true people. First here we see injustice from the high priest, secondly injustice from the officer, and third injustice from Peter. Ojeas was tried as if a criminal when he had done nothing wrong, and verses 19 to 23 record a preliminary hearing, I believe, as the first step of the church trial, as it were, and two stages will follow, as in the other Gospels, before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin that night, and then in the morning before they brought him to Pilate. Anyway, it was injustice from the high priest in not seeking a fair trial, not even trying to have one. For in a fair trial, according to their legal regulations, witnesses were to establish a presumption of guilt before an accused one was questioned in this way. But here the high priest started with questioning Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. As I said last Sunday, I think this is Annas doing so, who was also called the high priest at times. Caiaphas, the official high priest whom Rome had established, he could be gathering the Sanhedrin members at this very time. And yes, Jesus would be sent to him, as in verse 24. Indeed, Annas or Caiaphas would want to know about the Lord's disciples or how successful Jesus had been in gathering them. For they cared about that more than if his teaching was true or not. And so first, Jesus asked, how large a following did he have? And if it was many, well, those leaders could say that was a threat to the Roman government over them and a threat to the Jewish church. Also, they no doubt wanted to understand, know who those disciples were, and then they could arrest them if they wanted to. John, as we saw, was known to the high priest, and he was not treated in that way yet. However, he would be so in Acts 4, as we saw previously, when Christ's teaching and his resurrection were proclaimed there by Peter and John. 
They were both arrested then. Well, as for our Lord's doctrine, you know, a chief teaching regarded who he was, of course. And all that Jesus said was perfectly consistent. He is the one to give even sinners spiritual life in John 5 and 6. He is the great I am in chapter 8. He is the good shepherd, chapter 10, and the resurrection and the life, chapter 11. And we know Jesus' disciples recognized him as the Christ, as Peter proclaimed that in Matthew 16. With all of Christ's teaching, the high priest would be truly concerned in that. Oh, here you see, he did not even ask. The high priest did not even ask about the miracles which Jesus had performed, which did such good for people and proved his doctrine. Why? The miracles, they could not explain them. And so those unbelieving leaders shut their eyes to such. Yes, dear ones, all that reality about our Lord was rejected by those evil men who sought to try him. So it was with Annas and then with Caiaphas. And this was supposedly a court trial, but they had already condemned his doctrine and intended to kill Jesus. You can see plainly, there was no intention to give him a fair trial, a fair hearing. As before, chapter 11, already Caiaphas had said, one man, that is Jesus, should die for the people instead of the Romans attacking them if many followers of him, of Jesus, believed he was the Christ. And yet when you see it in Matthew, Matthew 27, Pilate knew it was because of envy they acted against him. Well, it's not surprising then that the high priests held illegal proceedings here. It went against their regulations for trials. For no capital punishment trial was to be held at night or on the eve of a Sabbath or on a feast day, which, you know, this was already a Passover. Jesus was arrested by a bribe given to Judas, certainly against all regulations. And worst of all, there would be false witnesses against him. Indeed, the Jewish leaders, the high priests, hated Jesus for weakening, weakening their hold on the Jewish people. He exposed their hypocrisy. He did that time and again. And he called the temple court a den of thieves because they made money from the sale of sacrificial animals there and with the exchange of currency. Yes, they needed the currency that the Jews accepted there. And so they clearly wanted to kill him because of these things. As one said, this was not a trial, but murder. Of course it was. And yet, dear ones, through it all, Jesus, our Lord, confessed the truth. He did that repeatedly. And the day of judgment that is coming will certainly show there has never been a greater travesty of justice than this. All that they did here against the Holy Son of God. And you can know it was certainly suffering for him, that Holy One, to be tried before these wicked scoundrels. However, our blessed Lord 
Christ chose to endure it all for God's true people, for all believers of all time. And that included the one in the courtyard who was then denying he even knew him. And for all our sins, yours and mine, Jesus gave himself, beloved. How amazing. And certainly how thankful you and I should always be and glad to serve him. Yes, he endured such injustice. He did that here from the high priest. That also involved seeking self-incrimination. Well, that was clearly the purpose in questioning him before attempting to have witnesses there. Christ still went forward with this illegal trial. He would go as he was determined to do all the way to the cross according to God's eternal plan of redemption. Here he said, I spoke openly to the world. And you can think how that was contrary to a false prophet who might, might entice people secretly. Oh, truly our Lord spoke publicly and outspokenly. Everyone could hear what he was saying in the synagogues and in the temple. He didn't try to have only certain people there and so forth. And clearly it was up to them to listen, to consider. Oh, it was unclear at times in sin-clouded minds what he was saying, and it came in parables and figurative language often. Yet the substance was constant and plainly said, really. In private, he simply gave explanations and development of what he had said in public. And you could think of that even when Jesus commanded his disciples in Matthew 16 not to tell the people yet that he was the Christ because he had given many indications of that fact in public already. Yes, he declared plainly he fulfilled scripture regarding the Messiah. And that was all such a contrast to the secret plots of these Jewish leaders against him. Well, notice, brothers and sisters, what Jesus said and what he didn't say. He emphasized his teaching properly, but he did not say a word about his disciples. For as one wrote, if the teaching is right, the teacher has the right to gather disciples. And so Jesus declared here, in secretly I've said nothing. Again, he gave deeper instruction to his disciples when alone with them, but it was always consistent, never contrary to his public statements. And he told his disciples, as in Matthew 10, 27, whatever I tell you in the dark, preach on the housetops. Oh, again, parables could veil the truth to those rejecting him or those untaught in those things, but the fault for that lay upon the unbelieving who denied him. Truly nothing could be clearer than what Jesus said at Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry. You can see that in Luke 4. He quoted Isaiah 61, 1, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him as the anointed one foretold throughout the Old Testament. And he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It couldn't have been clearer than that. At this time, however, Christ said, why do you ask me? For the law had protection against self-incrimination. There were to be other witnesses at a trial. 
And you know that's the same as in our own laws. One can plead the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination. For charges should be proven otherwise. And one could say something that would be taken wrongly as evidence. Some in our own government have done that. They've asked many, many questions and listened so carefully for any statement that was not being said in the exact same way as previously, as if that proved deception. In any case, it was against God's law in what the high priest sought. Now think of it, even those leaders had accused Jesus before, as in John 8, 13. They accused him of being just one person bearing witness of himself. But that couldn't stand, that wasn't valid, that wasn't right. But of course Jesus said the Father also had borne witness to him, as did his miracles. Well, certainly the people who heard him, and those who were offended at Christ, could bear witness to what he said. He said it to the high priest. They know what I said. That's what he declared. Even the officers present had heard him before. And so again, many could bear witness, and the law required two or three to do that to convict anyone. But those who came forward did all that they could do. That was, they could only lie. Lie in saying Jesus spoke wrongly or did evil. For you and I know he is the Holy One of God. The one of perfect righteousness in thought, word, and deed. Yes, beloved, our Savior bore all this injustice to redeem us. Praise be to him forever. Well, secondly, there was injustice from this officer standing by. As Jesus spoke this truth, the lowly officer from the chief priests and Pharisees, no doubt, has said in verse 3, reacted badly. It was injustice from him in striking Jesus. He struck him in the face with the palm of his hand, slapping him, and he said, Do you answer the high priest like that? Oh, he certainly acted as if he was jealous for the high priest's dignity. Nonetheless, our Lord Jesus did not deserve such treatment, of course. Even as a mere man on trial, he would not deserve that. For again, he was not required to testify against himself according to God's law in the books of Moses. Now, in a parallel situation in Acts 23, verse 1 and following, there was a high priest then at that time who reacted wrongly to Paul. The apostle said he had lived in all good conscience before God. And then the high priest, quote, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? Well, Paul was told, that's the high priest, you revile him. And he said, I did not know that was the high priest, for you're not to revile a leader of your people. He would not have spoken so if he knew who he was. But in any case, that shows this officer was certainly doing evil to strike Jesus. And think of it, it was even worse that he was bound. His hands were bound and the man struck him, slapped Jesus. 
But that officer was probably seeking credit with the high priest. It said he was exploiting the situation for personal advantage. Perhaps he was dreaming of a promotion. Yet nothing against that deed was said by the high priest or anyone there. And especially when Jesus was not convicted, this shows as one wrote, justice, humanity, and decency were banished by the Jewish leaders. And obviously those under their authority learned from them. And so, beloved, you and I must beware, as with young and old, that anyone under our authority can learn the truth instead. Yes, may we all learn more and more. As in Micah 6, 8, that is to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Otherwise, evil and self-promotion will be all too common in sinners. Truly, there was injustice, which our Lord endured from this lowly officer, and that was manifest in having no evidence of evil. Again, that is plain, as Jesus said truthfully. If I've spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why do you strike me? The officer, and no one there had a response to that. Again, calling for other witnesses is what God's law commanded. And Jesus was the completely innocent and holy one. The officer had no reason to claim any fault in him. Our Lord could always say, as he did in John 8, 46, Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? No one there could actually point to one sin he had ever committed, because he never did. And he said, those who are of God hear God's word. You do not hear, because you're not of God. Well, this officer was not even commanded, you see, to to slap, to strike Jesus by the high priest, and so it was more reprehensible. And yet it fulfilled Scripture. It did, we can see that, even as in Isaiah 50, verse 6, saying of the Messiah, I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. And truly it was with majesty that Jesus defended his statement about witnesses. Even that officer should bear witness, as Christ declared, if there is any evil in what he said. Well, truly, brothers and sisters, insult and injury our blessed Lord took for our sake. He did, but he spoke for righteousness. And you and I may have to suffer with evil said against us falsely for his sake. Jesus foretold that. It happens many places in this world, far more than here, but that day may be coming for us. Yes, Jesus said we may have to suffer for righteousness' sake. He said that in Matthew 5. And also, interestingly, here in that chapter, he said, I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Well, from what Christ said here, that does not mean we cannot defend ourselves and speak out for righteous treatment. Jesus spoke out. 
He called the man to account. The point there, to turn the other cheek as it were, is that we're not to take personal vengeance, which comes so easily with our sinful nature. We are rather, as John Calvin said, to be more ready to bear a second injury than to retaliate for the first. Yes, in patience, you and I are to do like Jesus here, to overcome evil with good. Well, in all of this injustice done, the first hearing was clearly not successful. No incriminating evidence was found, and Jesus was sent on to Caiaphas, and the other members of the Sanhedrin gathered then. But truly, let us never forget how Jesus suffered injustice from men, but he chose, he chose freely, willingly, yes, even in gladness, to bear the justice of God against our sins. He did that, even at the cross. Oh, how wonderful is our Savior indeed. Third, then, he endured injustice from Peter. I say that because the apostle did not treat Jesus rightly, of course. He, you know, he had again and again denied the Lord who chose and taught him for three years, denied even knowing him. And so again, that was injustice to the Holy Son of God. Injustice in trying to escape by lying. Well, in Matthew 26, Peter had tried to get away after his first denial, and he got as far as the archway out of the courtyard. And then there was a second situation. He denied knowing Jesus with an oath. An oath before God. I don't know him. Here, as John returns to Peter, he's again warming himself at the courtyard fire. And Luke 22 says it was about an hour later when a third situation came about. And during that time period, probably everyone about the fire heard of the other accusations and denials. And so they, in our verse 25, would mean everyone around that fire, servants and officers, they said, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? And that, that question, the way it's said, it suggests he should say no and that there would be bad consequences for him if he said yes. Again, he gave in to the temptation. He lied. He said, I am not. However, by lying, it was Peter's greatest honor that he was denying. And to suffer for Christ is greater honor yet. And you, can, I, you and I can know that and should remember that if we suffer real persecution ever. Again, Peter yielded to the temptation before in the same way, saying he was not a disciple at all. In that last time, as recorded by the other Gospels, Peter's Galilean accent was pointed out as giving him away as a follower of the Galilean Jesus. And perhaps, as said, Peter had joined in conversation around that fire to throw them off, but it only showed who he was. You know, you really can't escape well by lying. Indeed, they were talking about him and to him, and all that would excite the excitable Peter. 
Oh, let us beware of trying to escape trouble by lying when the truth should be said, when it is owed rightly. <laughs> Along with that, I can think of someone while growing up who tried to get out of trouble often with a lie. But he could not get away with that and simply brought him more trouble with his parents. And we should all learn better, of course. Again, let us not forget, and may we say it to others, all things will be revealed at the last judgment of mankind. So let us speak for Christ now and speak the truth. Indeed, Jesus suffered for all the sins of God's people, as with injustice, even from Peter. He did when Peter was fearing man, not God. <clears throat> that was a chief problem for him here, obviously. And yeah, he probably felt like he was going into the lion's den after what he had done in the garden. And the worst of his fear, it came to pass. For in verse 26, one of the high priest's servants, even a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, believed he recognized him from that garden. He declared, did I not see you in the garden with him, with Jesus? Well, only John records this. After all, John knew the high priest. He knew Malchus, the servant, evidently. He knew that one Peter attacked. He knew the girl at the gate, it seems. And he knew this relative of Malchus. And such an eyewitness as this man an eyewitness to Peter's aggression, he would fear most. Especially he would fear a relative who might want vengeance. And that man could give testimony then to Peter's armed resistance to the authorities. Again, we can think of a law in our day, how aiding and abetting a criminal is a crime. So they would think of Peter trying to help Jesus. Well, the question of the man expects an affirmative, a yes, that Peter was in the garden with Jesus. For that, that servant was there, and he was almost sure it was Peter who struck Malchus with the sword. And that detection again was what Peter feared most, fearing men instead of God. Rather than fearing to lie and utter falsehood, false oaths to God. That was most awful. And certainly, dear ones, it is a warning with all the temptations that we face. We are not to indulge sin at all, for it can become a habit, of course. And then when we're used to it, that despising of God as it is will go on to extremes. Indeed, here Peter denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Well, in Mark 14, there was an earlier crowing that only he records after Peter's first denial. And only Peter, as you look at the warnings from Christ, only, uh, only Mark, that is only Mark states that Jesus warned that before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. The thing is, from early tradition, it is said that Mark was the one who received his information directly from Peter. And so that apostle, he wanted the full scope of his failure 
and his restoration recorded. He wanted it known. Oh, that first crowing did not sink in. But at the second, as Luke 22 has it most dramatically, or really at the third denial, Luke has it that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Imagine that. Think of that. What pain and love filled his eyes, no doubt. And the Holy Spirit used that to remind Peter of the denials foretold. And then he remembered the word of Christ, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. That was true repentance, not the remorse of Judas the betrayer who killed himself. Well, you think about that rooster crowing, I could imagine that was about as close to a siren as we have in our day. And a number of Reformed churches, as, as ours at Manitowoc, Wisconsin, have had a rooster on their steeple. Why? To remind us of our own weakness and sin, and yet, yet of our loving, gracious Savior. He gave his life at the cross for Peter and all believers. And so, beloved of God, May that assurance and our gratitude direct you and me to be faithful by his grace and spirit and to be true witnesses to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we thank you. You are the faithful God and you have provided this way of redemption in Christ alone. And our Lord Jesus, we praise you that you gave yourself so willingly and freely. You bore all that injustice from sinful, evil men, even your own disciple who denied you again and again. But you did it all for the glory of God and for the forgiveness, righteousness, and everlasting life for each of God's elect to be obtained. And so we praise you for such mercy and love. May we be more thankful in all our days. May we show it truly. May we be your witnesses. May your grace and spirit guide us. May we stand against persecution and what is untrue and stand for your ways and your gospel. May many more be one to Christ. We do pray that and we ask for your blessings. Forgive our sins. Increase our faith. Guide and lead us, we ask, for your sake. And now we do pray together as Christ taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time we can give of our tithes and offerings in thankfulness to the Lord.
Let's turn to our last hymn, Amazing Grace. As we know, it is only the grace of God by which we are accepted, redeemed in Christ. Number 460, as we stand to sing. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and 